there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Bring, bring your green hat. Let's go. Loud noises. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, Christmas time, Hanukkah time, Festivus time. Uh, no bowl season for Tennessee time. That's okay time because prospects are coming time, whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker alongside Ryan Callahan, Danny Parker, obviously the three main recruiting writers for Go Balls 24-7. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm not the world's best recruiting writer, but that's why we got both of these fine gentlemen in here to talk about this with us because Tennessee just went through or uh, still is, I guess, in the early signing period, the first annual early signing period for college football. The the days of just uh, February, first Wednesday in February being the, the normal signing day, those are done. Those have gone the way of the dodo. That still exists, but seems like a whole lot of kids went through this early signing period and chose to sign there. Tennessee, I believe, ranked in the uh, near the 25 range, right? 20, 26 at the end of day one. 26 nationally at the end of day one, which is good enough for eighth in the SEC, which is not where you want to be every year. But uh, I think where Tennessee is right now, where this program is, first-year coaching staff, guys, I, I don't think it's a bad start. That's also up 30 spots from when they started the day. Yeah, started so. at 54. Um, so That's like Missouri range. Yeah. Uh, they would have been last in the SEC at one point. Uh, but, yeah, and, and also you're, you're not done yet. I mean, you've signed – basically half a class at this point. Um, they've got 16 commitments officially. I think some of those will not end up signing with Tennessee, the ones that have not signed so far. So you've got uh, once Elante Taylor signs uh, around midday on Friday, that will be uh, 13 signees for this class, a little more than halfway there, but obviously a lot more work to do uh, in January and into February. So that's the other reason you look at that ranking and, and don't get too worried right now because they could very easily end up in the at least the top 25, if not the top 20. And for, for those who are just now kind of catching up, uh, Tennessee has a new head football coach. So if you're just now learning that, uh, you've obviously not been listening to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast, uh, and you've probably not lived in the state of Tennessee for the past, oh, 45 days or so. But Tennessee has a new head football coach. His name is Jeremy Pruitt. And what once was a top five class nationally, as Ryan just alluded to, uh, went into the early signing period, ranked, I believe, 54th nationally. Uh, but Tennessee rallied a little bit on that day, uh, Got some, got some, got some guys that they needed. Got some guys that other programs wanted. Guys, what what were you your thoughts on just sort of the way Wednesday went down? Because you know Tennessee went into this thing needing to have a good day, and and for the most part, I think it did have a pretty good day. I, I think they had a really good day. Uh, when when you talk about adding five players on any signing day or or first day of a signing period. Uh, that, that's that's pretty nice to, to be able to add a handful of guys, and especially when you're talking about the caliber of the five that they got. Um, not all five were uh, were stars or household names, but just to, just to get Jerome Carvin and Jeremy Banks alone, those guys in state were, were obviously important. Uh, the new staff had quickly offered Jeremy Banks uh, through the three star running back that the new the previous staff had not offered, but it's shown some interest in. Yeah, and he's that that Alabama Georgia kind of looking running back, six two around two ten two fifteen. 
Uh, North-south runner, not a lot of wiggle to him, but he can he can make, make some moves in open field still. But Jones would have called that a defensive end almost. <laughs> Could have. Um, but, yeah, he, he's a good player. And then Jerome Carvin, obviously a longtime top-end state target. And then the other guy that makes a splash, uh, you know, you – you flip Cal's quarterback commitment, uh, JT Shrout, which that, that's a big deal uh, to get that need taken care of after losing Adrian Martinez and Michael Penix. And then the the big splash of the day, Dominic Wood Anderson, the four-star tight end, number one JUCO tight end in the country that no one really expected them to get. But the longer that one went from, from his official visit over the weekend to, to closer to Wednesday, it looked like they had a real shot. And, and you wonder just because of how crazy his recruitment had been if they could pull it off. They pull off the upset there, and then in the day, adding another JUCO guy, uh, uh, Jordan Allen, a three-star uh, outside linebacker, mostly that, that will play maybe a, a little bit with his hand on the ground sometimes. Jack a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, to add five guys like that, that's that's a nice haul for the uh, to add in the early recruiting or early signing period, and obviously to to get a couple guys like that, four stars that are you know big battles. Shows you this staff can go in there and win some big-time recruiting battles. So I think everybody comes away feeling pretty good. And that's five on top of Kingston Harris, who had committed mm-hmm. two days prior that officially visited most of those kids over the weekend. A young man fr- from Orlando uh, at IMG Academy. Anytime you can get a kid signed from IMG Academy, I think it's a good idea because there's so much talent that comes through there. Oh, yeah, multiple y- sports, too. You need somebody down there with an orange hat with a power tee on it walking around to just – kind of keep Tennessee in the back of those kids' minds. Uh, you know, Mike Jones Jr. was a kid from Tennessee that they went down there, looked like he was heading for Tennessee for a while, but soon after he got to Bradenton, he committed to, to Clemson and just stayed with them. But, but back to Kingston, though, as he's a guy that, you know, having stood next to him in person, he's listed 6'4", 272. I don't know if he's quite 6'4", but he's definitely big enough to, to grow into possibly playing the nose. He's talked about playing – uh, any of the positions up front on the three four, I think he played some defensive end and a little bit of defensive tackle on a four three. But mm-hmm. but he, he he you know he fits that need. You know who knows what's going to happen with DeAndre Littaker, a couple other defensive linemen that have taken a long look at Tennessee with the the twenty eighteen class. So they had to get some bodies and had to get somebody else in there that could at least potentially play the nose and guys that could fit this system too. I think mean, that was a big deal. Is that when you look at this roster and what Jeremy Pruitt's inheriting, you're not yeah. always not all these guys are going to fit perfectly, especially on defense. To get to get some defensive linemen in this class who do fit what they do is really important. And as I, as I look at this thing, guys, I, I might be missing something here, but to me, there's sort of a clear need for for what they're going to want to do with this class going forward. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But you know, I would think the linebackers in this defense are going to need to be a little bit bigger, uh, at least a little bit bigger, not not huge, but but bigger. And they're going to have to go fill that need. And then you know, on the back end, I know they got a lot of defensive backs last year, but you can never have too many of those guys. And um, th- this was a, a bit line of scrimmage focused, I guess. Early signing period was for for Tennessee. You know, you you got a quarterback, uh, you got a kicker, uh, but other than that, there's a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage. Uh, even a tight end who's got good size at six five two forty five. So, uh, but I think one of the biggest things in the class, obviously, adding Carvin was was huge, but. To me, you know, everybody saw what happened with with Cade Mays. I was one of the last people kind of telling Tennessee fans to hold out hope that that they were trying to wedge themselves back in there. But at the end of the day, the recruiting guys here were right, and he ended up going elsewhere. It was trending Clemson for a while and then kind of trended to Georgia, and he ended up going down to Athens, which is certainly going to sting Tennessee fans. There's no two ways about that. But keeping Greg Emerson, I think, was huge. I love this guy as a prospect. When you see him – he looks like one of those guys that you go, yep, Bama would take him. He, he looks like one of those kind of Bama-looking defensive linemen. He's big, strong, looks like about a 30-year-old man already. 
and he's ranked the number one hundred five. Yeah, he's ranked the number one hundred fourteen overall prospect in the two four seven composite already. So uh, that, that that's a good prospect, and that's a guy that keeping him and Lawless also the Brant Lawless, the defensive tackle out of Nashville, that was huge because those are a couple of big time four star prospects inside the state. And being able to keep those guys, I, I think, was – a lot of people are going to talk about Cade Mays and losing him, and certainly that hurts, but but keeping those guys was huge. Emerson's a guy, and I was unfortunately there when he snapped his, his leg and ankle, and it looked like it was barely hanging on, hanging on with his skin at the opening finals back at, at Nike. And, you know, he was competing up there against some of the best offensive linemen in the country. Won some, lost some. I think that the big question with Greg for the longest with Butch Jones' staff was – would he slide inside to play the three technique or would he stay outside the defensive end, which is what he wanted to do. But I think that problem is probably going to be solved uh, with Coach Pruitt and Coach Shearer's defense moving to a 3-4. I think he's a 3-4 defensive end all the way. I don't think there's any debate. He's not yep. going to slide out to, to Jack linebacker, Buck linebacker, whatever they call it. He's not going to move in to nose guard. So um, in, in terms of his health, I know he had to sit out his senior season over in Jackson. Uh, tough deal for that. Uh, but, you know, that – Sim- the simple opportunity that he's going to be able to continue playing football after seeing how bad that injury was is is a good thing. It's a blessing for him to get on campus in, in January, hopefully, and, and get things rehabilitated. We'll see how that goes. But but it's also a situation where I, I saw him at the at Thompson Bowling Arena when he was in town for his official visit. I actually was walking behind him to down the baseline because during the basketball game they brought yeah. those recruits. Right? I didn't see a noticeable limp. Obviously, wasn't in a boot wasn't in crutches or anything. Of course, we're talking months later, but he seemed to be moving okay and didn't lose a whole bunch of weight. So Could, it's, could he maybe go – you know, you talk about not sliding inside. I wonder that you look at what Alabama's got a defensive or nose tackle right now. He's about 308. So uh, Emerson's already kind of a big, strong kid. Does that frame have – room to add much more because he already looks like he's pretty filled out so I mean is it possible that he could maybe go slide all the way inside or it's, is he staying at an end it's possible now the thing to remember too I, I've tried to stress this to people Alabama if you watch them and Danny knows this being on the field for that game this year and, and in past years they run lots of four-man fronts in Nichols. Yes. so I mean a, a guy like Emerson is going to have multiple roles on, on Tennessee's defensive line either way I definitely could see him sliding inside in those four-man fronts uh it is he going to play three, four nose? We'll see. He weighed 297 at a camp uh, back in March in Atlanta. So it's not out of the question. He could add more weight. Uh, I don't think that's his best weight necessarily, but not out of the question. If he goes in the weight room, gets a little bigger. Yeah, he, he could do some of that. Yeah, yeah a big, big, strong kid like that. Yeah, Danny, get, getting getting that that many months away, they're probably going to get a little soft, I would he's, imagine. He's certainly a big, powerful kid. We list him at 6'3". I think he probably is 6'3". I would yeah. say that's pretty legit. It's 6'2", at the shortest, but... I don't think he's around 300 pounds right now. I, I think he's probably somewhere in the 270, 280 range he, at this exact moment. He told me 280 a couple of weeks ago when I asked him about that. He said he, he had been at two – he claimed to be around 260 back in the summer. I'm not sure he ever got he quite was. that light. Yeah, he, he was, was 265 in Oregon. He lost a ton of weight. So so he was down, and then I think he said he made, mentioned that sitting out this season obviously hadn't been running and things like that, so he put on a few more pounds. So, it, so 280 or so sounds about right. Uh, it, it was interesting, though, Danny. You mentioned his rehab process during – in October, late in his season, his team had a rough year without him. Uh, the last week of the season, he toyed with the idea of trying to get on the field for a few snaps his final game just to do it. Um, and he, he worked out a little bit during the during the week of practice, was trying to take some snaps at quarterback, believe it or not, where he had <laughs> played some in high school. And I was like, you're not really going to play quarterback, are you? He's like, oh, yeah, why not? So so he uh, YOLO. So he's far enough along in his rehab now that he thinks he's definitely going to be out there at spring practice. And if he is, that's that's good news for Tennessee. Because like you said, it was an ugly-looking injury at the time. Uh, but he seems to be pretty confident he'll be out there in March and, and ready to go. And that's that's big news. And like you said, 
uh, West. Big that they held on to him. And not only that, but that Lawless and, and Emerson didn't really have any drama down the stretch. Yeah. Lawless, Lawless is not an early enrollee. He didn't have to sign the early signing period. He hasn't even taken his official visit to Tennessee. When he takes it in January, and I didn't even know you could do this, really, he's going to do it as a signee. He's going to take an official visit as a signee. So the fact that those guys went ahead, locked it, locked it in, wrapped up the process without really any drama down the stretch through a coaching change, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I think the, the fans will appreciate those guys being in-state guys, especially in the face of what happened with Cade Mays. People love to see guys like that in-state being so loyal. Yeah, Memphis almost coming up bigger for, for Tennessee than Knoxville has the past couple of years, it looks like. But uh, Greg's from Jackson. Yeah, uh, uh, Me- West Tennessee. Memphis, West, Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> West Tennessee. I'm interested to see if he does anything in San Antonio. He's, he's, he's going to, yeah, he's going to, last time I talked to him, he acted like he might try. We'll, we'll see if he's ready. It might be pushing it a little bit, but it's not out of the question. And Lawless is a guy that one time I saw him in person, I, I thought 6'3 might be kind for him. I think he's a little bit, maybe a little bit squattier than that, but uh, he's still a powerful kid and a guy who is a really good prospect. And not you know, 6'3. You never know that he didn't look 6'3 at all to me. I thought not maybe like 6'2. Six, I thought yeah. he might be like 6'1 or 6' because I'm I'm <laughs> right at, I'm like 6' and 7 eighths or 15 sixteenths of an inch. Like I'm just like a shade under 6'1. And I was like eyeball to eyeball, to eyeball with him. That's kind of my test is like, I know how tall I am. So I, if I can look at you straight, square in the eyes, uh, unless you have the largest forehead in the world, we're about the same size. So, yeah, I think he's more like 6'1 or so, but uh, definitely looks a little bit smaller than Emerson, but still, you know, big-time squatty prospect. I think he's a guy who could who could uh, kind of got that fire hydrant build. Those guys can be tough to deal with on the interior. Also added, as we mentioned, Jeremy Banks, who's a, a teammate of Jerome Carvin, the big offensive tackle prospect. So we'll quickly hit on those couple of guys. Uh, Carvin, you know, 6'4", 330, good-looking four-star prospect. Uh, guys, is he someone who can play tackle, or is he going to be one of those guys who you go, ah, he's probably better at guard? I think uh, I'll, I'll let Danny weigh <laughs> on this first. Uh, he's not a left tackle. I don't think there's yeah. anybody that debates that uh, from this coaching staff to last coaching yeah. staff of Walt Wells, some of those guys and other coaching staffs like Mississippi State. I, I, I don't think he's a center. Um, he's not an extremely long-armed guy. Like you, like you, wingspan's such a big thing if you're going to stay out at offensive tackle, as we saw with – Georgia and Isaiah Wynn putting a six two six three guy at left tackle. It's more about wingspan, and I just I don't know that that fits Jerome Carvin. I think he might could play right tackle, but I I just think his upsides at offensive guard, left or right, I don't think it really matters. He could swing either way, and that's that's what Will Friend told him. Um, and he mentioned some right tackle, but uh, it's a good problem for Tennessee to have. You know, anytime you can take a, an offensive tackle and kick him inside, that shows a little bit, speaks a little bit to his his athleticism, but. The, the big number that sticks out to me is 330. Yeah. We, we've seen Tennessee sign so many kids, Ryan Johnson, Nathan Ehouse, Tanner Antonetti, Marcus Tatum, so many guys that had to get to campus and put on a lot of weight. Coleman Thomas in there as well. Uh, Jerome Carvin does not. And like I posted on the checkerboard earlier this week after I talked to Jerome, and you know Ryan and I both saw him in person uh, compete for, for Cordova High School against Pearl Cone in Nashville uh, midway through the fall. But he, he shows up with a couple of what I call turkey wings not chicken wings. He shows yeah. up as a guy looking like an SEC football player. And then that's that's the thing to me. A- Alabama uh, dabbled with him a little bit. That's that's one of the reasons he, he felt comfortable with the hiring of Jeremy Pruitt is that he knew him from Alabama. They, they showed some interest in him, and I think they saw him as a guard. Um, so I think I think you look you kind of defer to that a little bit and assume that Jeremy Pruitt might see him the same way Alabama's offensive staff did. Uh, so I think he likely projects as a guard, and, and like Danny said, I think that's his best position too. Uh, a guy that could slide out to right tackle on a pinch, don't think he's a left tackle for sure, but you know he, he carries that 330 fairly well. When you see his build, you look at him and think, 
probably not going to move that well. And then you see him move, and you're like, okay, he's got he's got some quickness to him for a guy that size. I think he still probably needs to drop a few pounds, ideally. Uh, I think he'd play better around 315, 320, but I, I think he's a guard, ideally. And uh, and for Tennessee's sake, I think that's where they need him. I think they, they, they actually have better depth at tackle than they do at guard right now after losing Jack Jones and Venzel Boulware. So I think that's where the real need is right now. And I guess Ollie Lane's a guy who also projects maybe to guard at this point. Garter, garter center. More of a developmental guy, the kid from He from thinks Gibbs. center. Yeah, the, the yeah. old staff thought center was a real possibility. 6'5"? Yeah, I mean, he's, he may be 6'4". Um, I don't but, like tall centers. It's just I like shorter yeah. centers. But yeah, I'm okay with a center at six four. So it's not the. I mean, James Stone was six yeah. four. So I, you Coleman can Thomas. Yeah, six six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which wasn't an ideal fit in some ways, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I think six four is okay. And I, I think Ollie Lane, he, he'll have to develop. I think he's even even as an early enrollee, he'll probably need some time. Jerome Carvin ideally would need some time to develop, but I think Tennessee's situation might give him a chance to play early just because they don't have a lot of options there. It'll depend on how many junior college guys they sign. Frankly, I think if they if they go out and get two more JUCO linemen in, in January and February, maybe Carvin doesn't have to play as a true freshman. But if they don't get a couple JUCO guys, he's going to have a real chance to play and, and uh, Car- as a true freshman. And Carvin's a guy that, that, that shows up having played a lot of football in 2017. You know, Cordova, I think, got to the first or second round of the state playoffs mm-hmm. before getting knocked out out of that Memphis bracket. But uh, he also competed in the East-West Classic over in Clarksville a couple weeks ago. And then the day after Christmas, he goes down to New Orleans to compete in the offense, defense, All-American Bowl, Jacob Warren, J- Jeremy Banks, a couple other guys expect to go down there. You know, it's not like a week-long deal like the U.S. Army or Under Armour deal, but it's about three days where he'll get down there and get some practice in, and then he'll he'll compete against some some pretty solid players. I've seen the rosters for both. He's actually, according to the, their website, he's not on the same roster as Jeremy Banks or Jacob Warren. He's, he's, he's like the only Tennessee commit on the Team American uh, but be the way that that's good for him, and then he shows up about a week later, I guess, after he gets on camp. I think I think classes start January tenth at Tennessee, mm-hmm. and most of those kids are thinking of showing up the sixth or seventh somewhere around there. So he'll immediately get into it. Whereas some of these kids, once they get put out of the postseason, they they win some awards, whatnot. You have the official visits, signing day, lot eating, lot of free food. Uh, whereas Jerome, instead of blowing up, playing so much football, I think is going to help him stay around three thirty. Yeah. We we saw a kid like like Eric Crosby went through the circuit, went through the food situation, yeah. and and completely changed from what we saw out of him during his senior season. He in, got, in he, got, he got big, yeah. To his official visit, then by the time he showed up, he was at least thirty pounds heavier, and basically. Ate himself out of the two deep. He, he was look. He, he looked. He, he looked a little. <laughs> I don't mean to sound hateful, but he, he looked. He, but looked, he, he came in looking a little tugboat Carson-ish. Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> he's a big, big, big old boy. Now, hey, maybe he can sit on the nose now in the three four. And he's lost weight to right. his credit during yeah. his redshirt oh, yeah. season, and he's a good prospect. I think he's a pretty decent athlete I, for that size. You make a good yeah, point. Oh, yeah. I think he could. I mean, he was quick enough. I think even at three thirty or three twenty, he could have been a pretty effective four three D tackle. But he really might be a, a pretty good nose in this system. And then we, there's a couple more. Uh, Line of scrimmage guys, we do need to mention. We mentioned him a little bit. Uh, Tanner, uh, I've heard Antonuti, 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 uh, Antonuti yeah. is mm-hmm. the way I've heard it a bunch of different ways. But he's a he's a. I think we can all agree probably more of a of a project uh, at at offensive tackle. He's coming in about six five two sixty, which is tight end size more or less. So he so, he's gonna he's he's gonna have to get a little bigger, but he's a pretty good athlete. He is gonna have to get bigger, but I, I think that that listing might even be a little outdated. He he told me uh, just a, a week or two ago that he was up in the two seventy five range already, or maybe two eighty. So he's he's put on some weight, and I think he'll be closer to being ready than people might have thought. He, he said Tennessee's coaches, you know that. Who knows how true this is? You say you say what you have to say in the recruiting process to make a kid feel feel good. But he, they said, "Hey, we might have had you pegged as a guy who's going to redshirt, but 
we need you. We need you to come in and be ready to play. And that's, I don't think he'll be asked to start or anything, but uh, with what we saw happen on Tennessee's offensive line this year, I, I can't rule out that he comes in and ends up getting a start or two late in the year. And they, they certainly hope it doesn't get to that point, but that they, they need some depth. He comes in, I think, a little more prepared physically than I would have thought. Uh, and, and by the time he gets on campus in the summer, because he's another guy who's not an early enrollee, even though he's signed, by the time he gets in, I think he'll be up at 285 or so, no problem, and much closer to being ready. He won't be a Marcus Tatum-type project. He'll be, I think, much more physically prepared than that. And then the guy that we haven't mentioned so far, Jacob Warren, the tight end from, uh, I don't want to say right down the road because Farragut's a, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes from here, but uh, Farragut, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Knox County, Tennessee, Jacob Warren, the tight end. Uh, I really like that size, 6'6", 211. I think that's a really good size to come in at tight end. I think that, that allows you to put on weight the right way while maintaining your speed and agility and athleticism. And I, I like the way this kid goes and catches the ball. I like I like his hands. I, I think this – I don't know that he's going to be a, a great player. We'll see, but I I, I kind of like him as a sneaky good prospect. That's just me, though. I, I, if, if I'm going to defer to you guys for sure. If I was a relative of Tanner Antonuti or Jacob Warren, I'd probably give them gift cards to restaurants for Christmas. Uh, yes. Both those kids have to take eating and their diet very seriously. It's not just working out. A lot of lean protein. A yeah, lot of lean protein. Lean, lean protein, roast beef, chicken, tuna, uh, middle of the night foods, you know, PB and J middle of the night. I knew Andrew Butcher used to get up and at two in the morning and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, that's, Tatum, that's going to be Marcus Tatum too. Yeah. Both their things. Uh, Tanner can say he's two eighty ish. I don't oh, see no, it. I, I found the story at two seventy three is what he said he was, as, of, as of 10 days ago. A little more so, believable. Yeah. yeah. He's been doing a lot of duck hunting with Cade Mays, but, uh, yes. uh, Ensworth, well, you know, that didn't you work have, out. Said he'd added. Said he'd added about thirteen pounds since the end of the season. He, he, so in about two months, he's added thirteen pounds. He did a good job convincing Kate Mays to stay home during those duck hunts. Apparently, did he shoot him in the <laughs> leg or something? <laughs> did he? Did he Dick Cheney him? Did he? Did he hit him with a little bird shot at some well, point? They definitely developed a, quite the friendship. Yeah. And I, I think even though they're going to two different schools and in rivals, in fact, I think they'll stay friends for quite a while. Uh, but. But Tanner, it's funny you mentioned him as a tight end. That's what he was at Innsworth, a mm. tight end defensive end before going into his senior year and, and played both ways uh, for the Tigers. An impressive athlete. Uh, that's his upside. That's why Jeremy Pruitt and those guys stayed on top of him. He does have a significant upside. And once he gets his size up to up to cuff, he'll be okay. And Jacob Warren, um, you look at Dominic Wood Anderson, if you stood him up next to Jacob Warren, you're like, okay, who's the basketball player? Who's the football player? It's pretty obvious. He's, yeah. He's got to put on at least 30 pounds to be an effective guy. He's got to take blocking more seriously. But the athleticism and the length, the height, all that is absolutely there. What I think the ball skills are pretty good, too. The we ball saw skills him are good. make a couple one-handed catches. Yeah. And, you know, you can just check on Twitter, social media, or Google it, and you see a couple really nice one-handed catches that he made during the season. But the thing about him, I talk about his weight, you know, and this, this speaks about Jeremy Pruitt going forward. In his honesty, he said nobody had straight up told him, you're not an SEC football player right now. You've got to hit the weights. You've got to eat. Because if you show up looking like that right now, you're undoubtedly a redshirt and you can't help us. And Jacob said it was kind of uh, alarming. No one had talked to him that way about his weight, but he said he appreciated the honesty. And, and, and yeah, the fact that he is 211, yeah, it's like you said, Wes, it, and a lot of systems that might be ideal, I think, to come in around that weight because you're naturally going to bulk up and put on 20 yeah, pounds or so. I think putting weight on the right way is yeah. key. It, the difference in his case is, like, like Danny said, I think the physicality and just the mindset aren't there yet for him. I think he's got he's yeah. to learn to be a run-blocking tight end, which he hasn't really done much in the past. He's out, He's been out there. He's blocked well enough at the high school level to get by, but he, he has not completely embraced that side to the point where he's going to be a – a good pro style offense tight end. And that's what it's going to be an adjustment for him. And I, I'll be interested in seeing how many of those more athletic 
tight ends that we saw Butch Jones' staff recruit, how many this staff recruits, uh, because you do want those playmaking types, but you want them to be big enough also to, to be effective in both sides of the game. And, you know, the, Warren's a guy who you could have seen, I mean, kind of like an Austin Pope almost coming out of high school, similar type of player, uh, not, not as tall, but, but similar build in some ways. And those guys can make plays in the passing game, but they're not always out there every down. So I think to become an every down tight end, he's got a long way to go. You like the upside though. Uh, I w- the speed is okay. I think for a guy, his, his build, I wish he was about a 10th or, or two faster in the 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was timed around four, nine at a Nike camp. So you wonder when yeah. he puts on weight, will he, will he be quite as quick? Um, how will that translate? But I think he, he does have a good upside. And like you said, those, those one-handed catches he's made and things like that show the, the glimpses of the ball skills that you want. So he's got to develop. It's all about where he goes from here, but you like the frame, you like the upside and, uh, and, and combined with Dominic Wood Anderson, I think the addition of Wood Anderson helps him a lot because now he doesn't have to come in and yeah. help right away. Now he can develop properly as long as Wood Anderson and those guys in front of him stay healthy. He can come in and develop the way he needs to and really be ready to play in a couple of years. What are our thoughts right now on, on the quarterback signee Tennessee just added? Uh, he's a guy who was really kind of late to Tennessee's radar, you know, the quarterback situation with Tennessee trying to, to stay, to keep hold of Adrian Martinez, but he decided uh, he wanted to go to Nebraska and play for Scott Frost instead. So Tennessee, I don't want to say was scrambling because Tennessee had options, but definitely got in on this kid late, J.T. Shrout from, from California, a guy who, you know, when you, there's two things. When you watch his film – the first thing you go is, wow, I like the way he throws the ball. Pretty good pretty good athlete on the run, too. Makes some throws on the run. I like it. Then you see the number of interceptions he threw as a senior, and you go, oh, God. <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Uh, there's no way to hide that. What was it, 24 picks? That is a – 25, yeah. 25 picks in a season. That, that is a lot. That's like um, – you know, that, that's like the, the old Hal Mummy Kentucky era, like throwing like 60 TDs and 25 interceptions, whatever it is, just a ton of ridiculous stuff. You know, they, they were uh, – I joke when Andy Kelly used to be Tennessee's quarterback that you knew going into every game he was good for two TDs and one interception, and anything beyond that was kind of uncertain. But uh, what do we make of that? Because the film looks good – but a lot of quarterbacks film looks good. What do we know about this kid? He's, he's a fascinating prospect because you've seen the stories, you know, Pete Thamel wrote the the story for Yahoo that, that's gotten a lot of traction with, uh, you know, some, some guys with NFL backgrounds, seeing him in, in a camp setting where Justin Fields and some other big names were at quarterback and saying, that's the guy that's got the NFL skill set to work with the mechanics, all the things that you really want. He's got it. And so he's caught some people's attention at the same time, his recruitment never really blew up. He was committed to Cal, but his other offers were not, not that impressive to the eye. So I, I think you look at him and you see you see a uh, potential for an under-the-radar steal is, is what he is. Um, if you're Cal at this point, you've got to be like, Tennessee, get out of our face. Like yeah. They just stole Adrian Martinez. He ended up going elsewhere. Then they steal JT Shrout. I mean, Tennessee single-handedly basically wrecked Cal's plans at quarterback this year. But Take that, Justin Wilcox. <laughs> yeah, but, on a, but that's, a, that's a side note. But, they, they, you know, again, this, I think it's a good sign for Tennessee's future. And I, I, I think in the, in the big picture, maybe the, the biggest takeaway for me here is how much Tennessee's been involved in California. And when we've, when we've seen Tennessee at its best, they've been able to do that, go to California. Butch Jones' staff. They went out and got Khalil McKenzie, but that was a legacy. They never had as much luck there. They didn't spend as much time and energy there. This staff might do uh, uh, quite a bit of, of recruiting in the, in the state of California. Lots of players there. Yeah, I think the fact they've offered a few that they're really in on, they've hosted a couple on official visits already, uh, and get a guy like J.T. Shroud, that's a good sign for them in the long run. And, and yeah, as for him as a quarterback, 
raw developmental prospect, only one year as a starter in high school. You mentioned the high interception numbers, nine lost fumbles also, I think. So that's 34 turnovers as a senior. That's a lot. Uh, that number's got to come down. But the fact that he's got that raw skill set but still has good mechanics, I think that's the thing you look at and, and, and you're impressed by. So he's got a chance to be good, but it's all about how he develops over the next couple of years. I love West Did, Coast quarterbacks. I, I just, I'll be honest. I think you look at you look at the way that position's played and the, the, the success of those guys, both at the college level and beyond. There's a couple places where I really like quarterbacks from. And again, I don't know... 10% of what y'all know about recruiting. but he's, I know, he's a SoCal kid, yeah, too, so but you're I, surrounded by talent. But I love, I love Southern Cal, SoCal quarterbacks, and all California quarterbacks, and I really like Texas quarterbacks, too. Those are the places I think you – there's just a – seems like there's a lot of kind of good quarterback prospects down there. They're playing against, against great competition every week. Uh, they have some kind of wide-open offenses, so they get to throw the ball a lot. But they're also having to, to kind of face some really good pass rushers off the edge. I just – I like quarterbacks from those areas. Yeah, he comes from a you know a spread system, a lot of wide receivers on the field, so not a whole lot of guys in to block. A lot of empty back sets. Uh, he's used to throwing on the run, uh, throwing without a, a good platform, having to you know throw beyond the pocket quite a bit. I think that at you know attributes Prepa- itself prepare, to preparing for Tennessee. I think yeah. <laughs> That at least the former offense. Well, I think we'll see more two tight ends on the field. With, with no, I, I, I mean, offense, running for his life. Yeah, yeah. He, he did run for about 250 yards. I noticed as a senior, so he's not he's not a statue. People see the pro style and they just think he throws it, but he's he's a decent athlete. Yeah, he's, he says he runs in the, in the four eight range, so n- not not a statue. Uh, you know, enough to m- manipulate the pocket and pick up three four yards if he needs to, and the you know, the pocket kind of collapses on him, but. I like the mechanics, you know. I, our Greg Biggins, I, I spoke to him about him, you know. But I, I don't know. Uh, he throws off balance a little bit too much sometimes when you're used to throwing on the run. And I saw this with Jay Cutler back in the day at Vanderbilt. We saw that carry over to the NFL. Uh, sometimes you forget how to have a good platform, how to set yourself before you throw the football. We saw that with Quentin Dormady. Yeah. I think he compensated with a bad shoulder and having less than two, three seconds to throw the football quite a bit. There's a lot of drift in his mechanics. I think if he can get that figured out over the course of his time sitting the bench at Tennessee, assuming Quentin Dormady, Jarrett Garantano, Will McBride, if none of those guys go anywhere, it's going to be huge for J.T. Stroud because he won't have to come in and play and and not be ready. I think a red shirt and maybe some more time after that could be huge for his development, but mm-hmm. his upside is is pretty significant. If he can tweak a couple things and make better decisions in the pocket and make them quicker. Uh, that was the big thing that Biggins told me is that his his clock in the pocket is not there yet. And Tennessee fans know all about that, seeing Garantano just yeah. kind of sit there and tick, 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 tick. You know, Jimmy Smash. Clark is the guy yeah. that I always reference. With the with the clock not allowing that guy to reach his upside, and I remember when Jimmy was at Oaks Christian in high school watching film on him, everything was there. Well, you know, those are nice football fundamentals. Everything was perfect except he was used to having I swear four to eight seconds to throw the football because that team was low on D one prospects. You don't have that in college football. It's not realistic, let alone in the NFL where Jimmy really struggled. So uh, that's really hard to teach. You know, sometimes we see it seven on seven. We'll see a, a clock expire, and that's one thing. It goes down as an automatic snap uh, sack. We see that at the opening finals That's in that seven on seven tournament. It's like you get one, two, three, and then beep. Whereas in college, you get destroyed. <laughs> so you get a little gun shy. So that's that's something that's going to take some time for him. He's not an early enrollee, so not a guy who's going to come in and challenge for that starting job in all likelihood. But And, that, and that's different from Adrian Martinez. I don't want to belabor the point here, but I did post a story on, on the checkerboard this week. I, you, As a fan, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt emphasized that you want to look at what you got and not what you missed out on. But 
the loss of Adrian Martinez really was a big one for he's Tennessee. A good prospect. I think he's a. I think he's going to be a really good player at Nebraska. Scott Frost said it. I mean, it's kind of the a typical signing day thing, so you never know how much of it's just being excited about a guy he got. But he said he looked at all, film from all the quarterbacks in the 2018 class a while back, and that's the one guy he wanted. And he didn't have the means to get him at UCF. As soon as he got the Nebraska job, two hours after that championship game he coached at Central Florida, they offered Adrian Martinez, and they went and got him. So. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's staff, I don't think they, I don't know if they viewed it as a devastating blow, but they wanted to keep him. They went out to California. Jeremy Pruitt did to visit with them. They couldn't, couldn't hold off the momentum Nebraska had, and they lose, uh, lose out on him. I thought Martinez would have been Tennessee's quarterback of the future under the old staff. You never know how it would play out with Agreed. a new staff, but I think Martinez had the mental makeup, the skill set, even though he missed his senior year, I think he would have been really good. So while you're excited about JT Shroud, if you're Tennessee, and under the circumstances, great bounce back uh, from, from losing Martinez to get him in, in the early signing period, you still, if you're Tennessee, I think you hate to lose Martinez because I think he could have been a really good player. Yeah, Shroud, Shroud passes the the test that I have for the athleticism in a quarterback, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, but that play where you know you, the, the quarterback gets flushed out of the pocket, he kind of steps up in, in the face of a blitz, and he gets through it and all the DBs are covering downfield, and so he's got about 20, 25 yards of open space in front of him. If you can't get 8 to 10 yards in that situation, I don't want you to play quarterback for me. I don't think you're athletic enough. So I don't, I, I'm not saying you have to be like a Michael Vick or like a Josh Dobbs or anything like that, but you know, I think Dormady and Garantano, when Dormady's healthy anyway, can, can both pass that test. When you give them 20, 25 yards like that, they can go get eight, ten yards and slide and get out of bounds or something. That that's the kind of athleticism that I think you need at a bare minimum. Now, I would like a really athletic quarterback, but that's just me. Uh, that's a different. There's different ways of playing the game, and I, I just think with, with the way that all these defenses are so good these days, if a quarterback does not is not a natural playmaker, if he can't get away from pressure, if he can't beat you with his legs and make you respect it, I think that puts you at a disadvantage against defenses in this era. But there's multiple ways to play it, and a lot of NFL guys are kind of statues at times back there so yeah, I think it's possible I think Jeremy Pruitt will recruit dual threat guys too I don't think the, the staff will be shying away from that I mean Tyson Helton comes from a place at USC that had Sam Darnold who was rated a, pro, a dual threat quarterback by 24-7 sports a guy mm-hmm. Tennessee's old staff recruited so I don't think they're going to shy away from that but it is more important in this system to be a really good thrower and, and I think you will see them prioritize that but they won't shy away from having runners either and quickly Tennessee, we've mentioned his name already, but Alante Taylor is a guy who's going to be signing with Tennessee on Friday. He's done a great job of doing his best to recruit for Tennessee. He's he's kind of he kind of was uncertain there after the coaching staff change, and then he got back on board and uh, he, he's been really good to the Tennessee program. and And he's a really nice prospect too, number one hundred eighteen overall, uh, really good looking wide receiver prospect, good athlete, a guy who's going to help Tennessee. I think maybe pretty quickly. But ironically, a kid who's probably played more quarterback in high school than J T. Shroud. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but he's he, he's a very driven young man. If if he backs up everything he says, and I believe he does, and he did the camp circuit with, you know, the different networks, especially Nike going up to the opening finals. He wasn't scared of that competition. He didn't stay home and say, oh, I've got a bad hamstring or anything. He went up there and challenged himself against some of the best DBs in the country, uh, came to camp at Tennessee in July as a committed prospect, as an Under Armour All-American, as a guy fresh off the opening finals and competed at camp with Tanner Engel and some other guys. You don't see that a whole lot. Usually those kids show up and they want to hang out with older players and go to parties and, and have a good old time. Alante came up, brought his cleats with him, went to work. I think that speaks volumes to him. And, you know, I know he plans to, to get to college in January. And I think it's going to be a huge spring for him. 
I don't think there's any debating that Tennessee's wide receivers were the worst position group last year. And seeing that, you know, of course, if they can get healthy, Marquez, Cali, some of those guys, there is some upside there. But Alante has to look at that depth chart and think, this is a team where I can get on the field and play right away if I can figure out this offense and, and acclimate myself to college life. I, I like Alante Taylor because, you know, like Danny said, not a strong background as a wide receiver, but he's willing to work at it. He's shown that. And I, I like just the quickness that you see. He's not a – He's not a 4-4 guy, at least when he's been timed in the past. He ran, I think, a 4-6-2 at a Nike camp he was at last year. So good speed. I mean, that's that's faster than people realize. A legit uh, 4-6 is pretty fast. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a laser time. Laser yeah. time. So he was First I, movement, click. I believe he was one of the 10 or 15 fastest players at that camp, and that was an Atlanta camp, so that was loaded with talent. So he's, he's, he's fast enough. His speed will look good on the field. He has football speed, I think, which is, I mean, that 40 time doesn't always show up. I think he has football speed. And he has the quickness. I think that's one thing Tennessee's receivers have been missing. He's the guy that can actually make someone miss an open field. He can, he, he's got that wiggle to him where if you put him in the slot, he's going to actually have a chance to make something happen if he catches yeah. the ball in the middle of the field. So I, I think he's a, he can play inside or out. He's going to have to learn a lot about, about playing receiver, but that's true of a lot of guys coming out of high school. And I think being an early enrollee helps him. So definitely would not be surprised at all if he's, on the field in some capacity as a freshman, knowing what Tennessee returns at wide receiver. And to, to speak to his physicality, which is something that I think is extremely underrated when you're evaluating yeah. the wide receiver position. He was recruited by some programs, a defensive back. Alabama looked at him as a DB. Georgia a liked both him ways. There. Notre Dame absolutely looked at him as a defensive yeah. back as well. So that's a factor with Alante. What about what can we say about these other Tennessee commits who did not sign? I know there's some, some more uncertainty there with a couple of those guys. There's three other Good players uh, listed as hard commits who did not sign <laughs> in their early signing period what what's what what can we say about about where things are there uh there's some because people uh, are going to ask yeah there's some uncertainty there i, th- I think there's a, there's a very good chance that at least two and maybe all three of those guys end up signing with other schools uh i, I think anthony grant we've already seen him look around taking an official visit to virginia tech before the dead period started doesn't look like he's going to sign this week but he's uh he's very very strongly considering virginia tech north north carolina also in there I know Clemson and some other schools have shown some interest, but I don't think that's going to develop uh, into much. So we'll see where he ends up, but I think there's a real chance he he could move on uh, like somewhere else. I, I like his game. Uh, and this stat, people will, if it does happen that way, I think people will look at it and say he's not a fit for what Tennessee wants. They're going to want all bigger backs. That's not really true. We've seen Tennessee already extend an offer to Jerome Ford, uh, the 195-pound all-purpose back from Florida that Alabama just, just landed uh, this week. And I think that's a sign there there's room for a back like that in Tennessee's offense. It's just going to be the right, the right guy. And so I'm not sure exactly what's happened there, but it does, it's trending toward him ending up somewhere else. And we'll see, we'll see what happens with DeAndre Lidiker. I don't think there's been a ton of contact there between Tennessee and Lidiker so far. So there's, there's a real chance he goes elsewhere. Uh, And I think you will see Matthew Flint sign somewhere else. He was originally planning to sign and be an early enrollee. Uh, Doesn't sound like that's his plan right now. He may wait until February. So uh, all three of those guys very well might not end up in Tennessee's class, which would drop them back to, including Elante Taylor, 13 commitments, 13 signees. So that, that gives you a better idea for where they really are right now, needing probably about 10 more guys to finish off this class. As, using the Matthew Flynn example, when you have a coaching stain change combined with – Or coaching stain in some cases. Yeah, coaching stain. <laughs> but uh, when my personal relationship with a recruit changes, that's usually a sign that he's wanting to go somewhere else. Matthew Flint knows that I cover Tennessee – um, took an official visit 
you know, communication really broke down after I thought we had a pretty solid relationship. You know, we're both from same area a little bit in North Alabama, finished high school, probably 25 minutes from his. And, um, you know, Ryan and I saw him in person earlier this year, you know, did a photo gallery, did, did a couple stories on the young man, always easy to talk to. And then after he took his official visit to Tennessee, just kind of went dormant with it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he winds up at a Syracuse and Arizona State, somebody like that instead of Tennessee. But, but an uh, extremely athletic linebacker, uh, every bit of six foot tall, about two hundred fifteen pounds, uh, runs sub four six. That, that speed is hard to teach. I know that they want uh, larger linebackers at Tennessee, like you mentioned earlier, West. But you know, it's it's a kid that. You know, he could be a hybrid type guy that you have inside the box. Maybe you don't put a name on him. Maybe some kind of star or something like that, especially in third down situations, a, a dime linebacker. You know, just trying to think of how he might could fit in Tennessee's defense. But but you have to defer to Jeremy Pruitt and Kevin Cheer and those guys. They know what works within 3-4 and what doesn't. Well, and I'll say this too. I, people looking for Tennessee to sign all bigger linebackers. I, I look at a guy that Alabama's been heavily involved with that Tennessee now might lead for, J.J. Peterson. Um, he's, he's a top 50 player nationally. He's listed at six one and a half, two hundred ten pounds. He's not extremely big. And Rashawn Evans, coming out of high school, has had a great career at Alabama. He's built. He was built kind of the same way coming out of high school, maybe two fifteen or so. So you don't have to be a big linebacker, but you do have to have the frame that can add some weight, and you have to be you have to be an athlete. We're seeing Alabama and, and Wes. You had a great breakdown of Alabama's defense with Travis Ryer from uh, from Bama Online. And Travis gets most of the credit for that, I think. Yeah, breaking down some of the stuff about Alabama's defense. They they're looking for athletes more and more in that system. It's not just about big guys. You will see some bigger linebackers and some bigger defensive linemen, but it's not all 340 pound nose tackles and 250 pound linebackers. There's they're more athletes on the field for Alabama than there used one, to be. One defensive lineman who weighs more than 308 pounds. Yeah, so I think you're going to see them recruit some athletic linebackers like a JJ Peterson, and and they'll fit in that system. So it's more about just finding good players, I think. And and clearly there are some questions I think Tennessee might have about Matthew Flint, uh, but I don't know that it's all about size necessarily. I think it's just about finding guys that you think will fit in what you're doing and, and be athletic enough to make plays. What what are things that, uh, as we kind of wrap this up and, and look about the future now, this is where, uh, again, a lot of this stuff uh, with guys who haven't signed yet, guys, that's going to be behind the paywall. You're going to have to pay us money for that. But <laughs> there, what can we say kind of in, in general, maybe a few specifics about kind of where Tennessee is going now? What will the next sort of – you know, couple months and, and or six weeks and beyond be like for this program because there are there are still I mean maybe two thirds or sixty percent or whatever the guys have already signed but there are some really big names still out there and and those guys are going to get a lot of attention from a lot of people in the next six weeks and Tennessee as you said Ryan has got maybe double digit spots to fill yeah it's going to be an interesting finish uh, you know some schools out there signed a majority of their class uh, this week during the early signing period that's not the case with Tennessee you know with Alante Taylor they're going to finish the week at 13 signees barring a, a, a major surprise out of left field so uh, that, that that leaves a big number of spots out there and they've got some big needs still to, to fill uh, even with the addition of Jerome Carvin you got three offensive linemen in this class now I think they're open to signing five so I, I think you could see them add two more offensive linemen potentially cornerback uh, they don't have anybody in this class at cornerback right now that's a big big need I think they need at least two maybe three there so that's, that's I'd go Juco there I'd they're get one, trying I'd get a Juco yeah they, they've me. they've gone after one in Jeremy Webb who ended up with Virginia Tech uh, they've offered another one this past week from uh, from Texas uh, we'll see if they can get a, a visit from him but they're they're looking for a junior college guy who could come in and play looking at some some other guys they clearly want a six foot or taller corner you know Rashad Williams in Memphis is an, an interesting name yep. listed about six four probably at least six three um, who's committed to Vanderbilt right now and uh, I think might, could end up visiting Tennessee so cornerback's a big spot 
we mentioned J.J. Peterson, you know, as a, as a big name that's already out there. I think Tennessee will look for at least at least one, and, and we'll see it beyond that how many linebackers they try to get down the stretch. Uh, I think that's one they could they could be flexible there depending on what happens to other spots. Still, I think they want to add another defensive lineman or two, and I, I think you could still see them add a, add a couple more receivers potentially to go along with Elante Taylor, at least one more, uh, and they're after some big names there like Jacob Copeland. So going to be an interesting finish. A lot still to happen. Uh, they've filled some needs, but they still have a lot of work to do at some other spots. Uh, and how the numbers work out will be interesting, too. Will they try to sign as many guys as they can this year? Will they take some spots with them and not not worry about quantity as much as quality? Um, how they approach these things down the stretch will be interesting. But I think they have, I think they are expecting a big, big stretch run, and it'll be it'll be fascinating to cover. If, if you're not going to sign a JUCO guy uh, to help out in the secondary, especially at cornerback like Ryan mentioned, you absolutely have to get a big-time guy. Um, Elijah Griffin, I, I've seen him in person. I've seen him play all over the secondary. Probably projects a little bit more as a safety. I think he'd laser time in the four six two range. We'll have to see. But Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, just impressive athlete, freak athlete. Won the fastest man competition at the opening finals, which, as you guys know, <laughs> probably the best athletes in the entire college football world, and not just your class, but a couple classes below you as well. So six foot two uh, has laser time in the four three three range to, to four four one somewhere in that in that range. So which is um, fast, and he has said he is going to take an official visit to Tennessee in January. So that would be absolutely huge. And what they have to sell is not only an opportunity to start right away. Um, but also Jeremy Pruitt. It's something Tennessee hasn't been able to sell to recruit in a while as a head coach that says, I have guys that I have developed at my position that have gone gone on to be first-round picks in the NFL draft that have made yep. millions and millions of dollars. So Jeremy Pruitt can look, you know, you know, Mark Barron, Minka Fitzpatrick, all the, D. Milner, all these guys say, hey. Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey, I tutored all these cats. If you want to take your t- talent – and develop it and go be a day one kid, you need to come to me in Knoxville. So that's something that they can sell Isaac Taylor Stewart if they can get him to to, to comply with saying he's going to take that official visit and spend some time in Knoxville. I would expect him to get the full-on red carpet treatment a la Dory Jackson a few years ago. And, and that's a good point, Danny. This staff has a lot to sell on the defensive side of the ball. They've got some good recruiters on that side of the ball too with Tracy Rocker, Chris Rump, Kevin Shearer, and Terry, Terry Fair, was a first round pick. Yeah, <laughs> so they've got some good guys on that side of the ball to go sell it. But on top of that, they've got Jeremy Pruitt's resume, and they've already it's already paid off. A, a guy like Jordan Allen, a JUCO guy who initially turned Tennessee away when they approached him for an in home visit, they ended up talking him into visiting, and he ends up signing with them. Part of that was he's he's tutored guys like Leonard Floyd at Georgia and uh, and, and Alabama Tim Williams, guys that got picked early in the NFL draft. Tim Williams is a missile. They they now have that to sell. Jeremy Pruitt can say, "Hey, you're the next." Fill in the blank player, and that that's a big sales pitch for guys getting to the NFL, as we talked about before. Tennessee needed to get guys to the pros. Now they've got a coaching staff that can sell getting guys to the pros with their background. So, in addition to yeah playing for a national championship this year with Alabama, there's that they can sell, and on defense especially, I think that's exciting for Tennessee fans. And guys, it, this will be probably the the last, or definitely will be the final episode that we have before Christmas. So, uh, before we get out of here, just want to make sure everyone. We wish everyone a Merry Christmas, guys. Anything on the uh, anything on the Christmas list this year that you're hoping for? <laughs> Can't really think of anything. I mean, I get to work alongside you guys. There's there's not much more I could ask for. You know what? I, um, I, I I'm, I'm regretting that I forgot to to add this every year. I say I'm going to put this on my list, and every year I forget. Metal like metal sporks. Like you know how you always like get plastic sporks with food, and you're like, man, this is a good utensil. Why do they not make more of them? That you just have in your drawer 
and listen, I know that, that my fiance probably will not be able to hear this podcast. <laughs> she, she might be downstairs at, at Fort Rucker Studio right now uh, listening to this. And if you are, uh, last minute metal spork would be nice. If you can hear that down there. Danny, anything, anything you want? <laughs> No, I, I'm not a guy that really looks for certain things. Oh, I, come on. I grew don't, up with that a whole lot. Don't you know, say since, that. Uh, don't, everybody says that. I have, the hardest, you I have the hardest time. Like, as an adult, I really have a hard time with this. Like, people will ask, what, what do you want? What's on your list? I don't know. I'm an adult. If I need something, I go buy it. Like yeah. it's <laughs> What's on my list is something way beyond people's budget. And I can that's use a really, thing, yeah. really nice wide-angle lens, right. but that's going to run $1,400. So, you know, I don't make that kind of but, cash. But people I, I can't ask anybody. But but people want to buy me a $30 gift. That's hard because, yeah, if, if, if it's something I really need, I go buy it. And if it's like $200, $300, I don't buy it, and it's too expensive for them to gift it to me. So that's Chicken. <laughs> I mean, bags I'm, of chicken come to mind. I need a lot of chicken. Zach sauce. I'm, I'm easy. Give me a couple. If it's 30 buck gift, give me a couple vinyls. I'm good. That, that's That's... Yeah, that's me. But you know, there's also the there's the Grant Ramey school of uh, of uh, things, which is uh, if it's for free, it's for me. So, you know, come on, guys, something to be said for that. No, be something. But, but but seriously, seriously, metal sporks, metal I, sporks. I'm just saying, I, I struggle to come up with ideas. It takes actually sitting down and thinking about things that I haven't bought myself that I really would like. And I don't know it's it's it's, it's hard. All I'm saying is this, guys, the metal spork is a really underused utensil. <laughs> And think you're thinking about it right now in your head. You're thinking, "Wow, I've never really thought of that." But you know what? That's a good idea. How you could I you could guess. eat so many things with that. Just saying. Mm-hmm. If you can hear me down there, I'd like that. It's not going to happen. It's too late, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a very very merry and safe Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Don't, Happy don't, Hanukkah. Yeah, don't get out there and yeah. do anything. Don't go out there and do anything dumb on the road. Enjoy your family. Enjoy some football. Sit on the couch. Enjoy the people that you're with. You know, you never know. See y'all next week.